Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. Take a seat. Take a seat. What an awesome time we live in. I was thinking about that when Bob was talking about the early church and just the ups and downs of, of church. And Man, what a blessed time we have right now that we live in, where we are coming to this understanding of the power that we have in Christ and, and the salvation we have. That is just hallelujah. Huh? Yeah? Come on. So uh, it's good to be back. Last week we were in, uh, in San Diego, and we had planned this trip um, for quite some time, Danny and I. We wanted to take the kids to, uh, to the beach. They've never been to the beach. And um, it's funny, Danny, we, we were joking last night, because um, it seems like every vacation we go on, God just really gives me a lot of revelation and so she was saying, what you're telling me is we need to go on more trips. <laughs> so afterward, what we're going to do is we're actually going to pass the horn around, and we're going to set up a foundation for our vacations um, so that God can reveal more to us, and, uh, and I can share it unto you. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> oh. But we wanted to take the kids to the beach. We wanted to bless them. They've never seen the ocean. They've never seen the water. They've never been on an airplane. And so um, we thought it would just be so much fun for them, and, and it really was. Um, so we, um, l- let me say this, that what God showed me on, on this was uh, just his heart for us uh, and what it feels like to be a father and to go on a journey with your kids, and through the journey, knowing that you're going to reach a destination that will just bless them so, 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 so very much. And uh, the journey for us was the airport. Okay, the airport was like the unknown to the kids, and you know, you've all been in an airport. It's, It's pretty chaotic, right? You know, there's a lot going on, And to be a dad and to just have the kids just cling so close to you because it is so unknown. Everything is unfamiliar, a lot of strangers, and and there's a lot of different checkpoints and things that, you know, must occur. And they don't even know all of that. All they know is there's a lot going on, but I know my mom and my dad, and I just want to cling close. And so as a father... It was just such a a blessing to be able to receive insight to the heart of God when we step out into the place of the unknown and we cling to the Father and the Father's feeling of knowing that He is the ultimate provider, He is the one, He is the refuge, and and he's, He's the only thing that that child is hanging on to that they find their complete comfort and peace in him. And, you know, it it was interesting because on the way there in the airport, it it was obviously completely unknown to them. So they're gripping on tight, and and they're just enjoying the ride. Very much excited for the destination, right? And it's funny because even on the way back on on the... 
the way back home, going through the airport, um, it was a little bit more familiar to them. So although they were clinging tight, it wasn't like the first time when things were just completely unknown. And I'll tell you, I prefer the first trip going through the airport as a dad, knowing that they won't even stop to look at anything else because they're just holding on so tight. And so we, 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 have, we, we go through the airport, we get to San Diego, and we take them to the beach that first night, and it was just like utter and complete joy for the kids. Um, to see just the innocence and the purity of the kids, to see this destination that we had set up and we had planned for them, to see the water for the first time, to step out on the ocean. All you heard was like squeals and, and squeaks and laughter, and, and just the kids were jumping in the water even though it was freezing. Um, but they were just so overjoyed. And, you know, although they had never been there, we gave them, you know, they'd seen pictures. We gave them some information about what, you know, the sand is and what the waves look like. And, but it was until they actually touched down on foot they got to experience the fullness of it. But leading up to that time, there was just great excitement, okay, through the journey. And they made choices through this journey, and that was to, to cling on to us to listen to mom and dad. They could have chose to break down in the airport and not go through security check, and, you know, the trip would have stopped there. Um, <laughs> or it would have been less enjoyable for Danny and I. Um, but, but they chose to cling to mom and dad. They chose to trust in us that we had plans, that we had the itinerary set. They didn't have to think about what gate we were going to, what restaurant we were going to eat at, or where the luggage was going to be delivered to. They didn't didn't have to care about any of that. All they did was look to their mom and their dad, held on tight, enjoyed the ride, and then they reached their destination where there was even more joy. And I just think it's so great that God uses the analogy for us to become like children. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not that we have to be four again, or seven, or three years old, but it's the analogy of of, of just the sense of purity and innocence where you trust the one you're traveling with. You trust that he is a good God who has great plans in store for you. There's this purity where he is our sufficiency. Jesus said, for the pure in heart shall see God. That word pure there is... Uh, no other added mixtures. It's just, it's just him. When we were going through the airport, the kids were just looking at mom and I, you know, just hanging on to us. They weren't worried about, you know, anything else going on. Or they, they were just, it was just pure. They were just hanging on, just clinging to us. 
And there's many different analogies that, that, that God uses um, regarding his relationship to us and our relationship to Christ. But one thing that I think is almost kind of like, um, I, I want to call it like just a great foundation is for us to get back to that childlike faith where there is just absolute trust in him. And I believe that there's so much that builds on top of that. We can get pretty deep into, you know, your walk with God and, 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 and the things that, you know, he's, he's leading you into and, and just the depth of Scripture. But I think if we can just get to the place of just purity and innocence, as Jesus was talking about, becoming like children, where it just says, God, you know what? There's a lot in here. There's a lot to understand in here. And I may not know it all. I may not know what's going on around me or how to explain certain things, but I just know you are a good God, and this is a journey, and we're going somewhere, and you have chosen me, and you have nothing but my best interest in mind, and I'm excited. I'm excited, no matter what it looks like. So, you know, he, he never wants us to have fear. You know, that, that's one thing. There's an awful lot of commands in, in the scriptures that say, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And I was thinking about this, uh, you know, let, let's go to Philippians 1.28. A lot of times fear can come up in, in, in different ways, right? It's like anxiety, it can be a form of anxiety, it can be a form of um, worry about life. And the more and more we recognized who we recognize who we're traveling with, who who we're on this journey with, the more and more we realize that those things have got no place to harm us. It's almost like we look above it, we see above it, we see beyond it. Uh, in Philippians one twenty eight, it says, "Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction." but of your salvation, and that from God. I found myself at times when I, when I start to worry this recently, uh, just the other day, I, I had a moment of like anxiousness where you feel like you know, you're going through some spiritual adversity, like just stuff's just not working out. My computer's just going nuts, and I'm trying to type something up. And, and I just, normally I would get frustrated. I just stopped, and I just started laughing, and I just started praising God in the midst of it. Like, I'm not going to be frightened. I'm not going to be worried. I'm not going to be stressed about what's going on right now. I'm going to just pause and just praise God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sing a praise of hallelujah. Praise God in this moment for as good as you are. Even though I can't, you know, it's frustrating. That's, I'm just above it. You know, I got this imagery of like going to like a haunted house. You remember going to haunted houses when you were younger? And, but you weren't so young when you were going through it. Like you've, you, you knew enough where that there's probably someone going to be around the corner to pop out and try to scare you. But it's really some teenager with a mask on. And so you're, you, you're just not phased by it. You turn the corner and this thing pops out and you just look at it. <laughs> and, and he's like, and then he feels like an idiot because he just realizes, you know, he didn't, he didn't scare you. You're, just, you just, you're above it, you know, you, you, you're, you're above it. And that's very much like when, when we have this spiritual opposition, when things try to scare us, bring fear and frighten us, 
things that try to drive us away from our identity, the position that we hold in Christ in the heavenly places where he is at, seated above all rule and authority, when we see these things just of lesser value come barking to try to scare us, we can just look at it in the face and just laugh and praise God in the midst of it. And it's a sign to that thing of its destruction and our salvation, and that is from God. In 2 Corinthians, there's a verse here in 11.23. I wanna, do you guys have Bibles? If you don't have Bibles, that's fine. We've got it up here, but it's always good to bring a Bible. Work that thing. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 3. For I feel a divine, Paul's saying this, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We want to have this sincere and pure devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pure and sincere devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts up in the head, right? Paul's saying, don't be led astray. I don't want you to be led astray by the enemy and his cunning just as he tried to deceive Eve and it started in the thoughts and you know there was a little bit of mixture in there and then her heart is led astray. He says, don't, don't be led astray. Just We want a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And I find that it's interesting. He says, uh, since I betrothed you, it's not really a word we use too, too much uh, today. But betrothed is to be joined together. This is an establishment uh, of, uh, of, of, of a married couple, okay? We would almost say like uh, engagement, okay? And so it's neat. As I mentioned before, God gives us analogies uh, to describe the relationship that we have with him and with our Lord Jesus Christ, one that of like a child. And then he also says in Scripture that we are the bride of Christ. We are betrothed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that betrothal process is right now. It's like that engagement process, that engagement, that the period of engagement is right now for us and the Lord Jesus Christ. And being on the heels of talking uh, marriage, remarriage, and divorce for the past month, not everybody um, maybe could relate to every single one of those teachings, but I can tell you right now that this is a topic that everyone can relate to. Everyone is betrothed to Christ. Everybody. Everybody is the bride of Christ. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is God's son, you have been betrothed to Christ. And it's pretty interesting when you look at the Jewish marriage customs in Jesus' time, the correlation that we see in Scripture to not only where we're at now in this process or at this period of betrothal, but really like where we're going, what we have in store for us as the bride. Okay? So in 
in, uh, in, in, in Jesus' time, the betrothal was like the first big step to, to marriage, okay? So what would happen is the groom would leave his father's house and he would go to the prospective bride's home and he would there at her father's house negotiate with her father a price that was to be paid for that bride. And so then he would pay the price after the price was negotiated. And then after he paid the price, that right then and there established the marriage covenant. Okay? And then he would leave and go back to his father's house and he would prepare a place there for him to bring back his bride to his father's home. But you see, there was a process, there's a time period where that groom left the bride. There was separation between the bride and the groom. The, the bride, excuse me, the, the groom went back to the father's house to prepare a place. And during that time, the bride herself prepared herself for the wedding ceremony. And during that time, she prepared her wedding dress. And this time was about, uh, it was approximately like 12 months that this occurred, okay? And so after the time of separation, approximately at the very end of the 12 months, the groom would leave his father's home, and he would go with his best man, and he would go with some other male escorts, and they would go back to the bride's father's house to get the bride. They would go at an hour that was unannounced. Most of the time it was in the evening. And because it was in the evening, late at night, and the bride had no idea when he was coming. She, had not, she knew he was coming back. She anticipated that he was coming back, but she didn't know the exact time. And so since it was in the middle of the night, there would be a shout that preceded the groom's coming to the house. And that shout would let her know that he was down the road. And so what would happen is he would take the groom, the groom would take the bride, excuse me, and they would go back to the father's house where there would be a wedding feast. The uh, attendance of the, uh, the wedding uh, feast would already be there in anticipation for the big celebration, and it would be a seven-day-long feast. Okay. During this feast for seven days, the celebration, a wedding feast that lasted seven days, the bride and the groom were hidden in the bridal chamber where it was just the two of them and there was a great time of intimacy between them for seven days. No one would see them. They, they, were, they were hidden for seven days. There's a party going on and they're hidden, the two of them. And then after the seven days, the groom would come out And he would bring his bride out, and she now would no longer have a veil on her face. So he would bring his bride out, and now everybody would get to see his bride. She would be on display, because they couldn't see her before because she was veiled. But But the bride is now unveiled, the groom displaying her, and she is obviously then staying with the groom the remainder of her life. Great correlation to where we stand as one body who is betrothed to the Lord Jesus Christ.
How many of you understand and believe that Jesus came here and paid the price for us? Paid that price. It's already said. And going back to the Father, we know he is coming back to get us. At an hour, we don't necessarily know, but we know he's coming. And there's great anticipation for that arrival. And I want to look at Ephesians 5.25. This, um, this gives us a little bit more insight. No, you know what? Let's go to um, Titus 2. I just love the analogy of, of Christ and the church being the bride and the groom. Titus 2, 11, 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself for us. And now we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God, of the glory of our great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we, we long for that. We look forward to that. That's our, that's, that is exciting. That is exciting. And we get further insight into this relationship with Christ in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. And just like the instructions for a husband, it is to Love our wives just as Jesus did, just as Christ did. He gave himself up for us.
And we have a call to be one flesh now with him. The body. The bride, us. We are to be one flesh. We are to be of one mind. We are to have the same vision, the same understanding as Christ. Because we're one flesh with him now. Just like a husband and a wife in a healthy relationship, they're not divided. They have the same mindset. They have the same vision. They have the same priorities. He nourishes us and cherishes us. Even when we don't seem worthy, don't act like a good wife, he still nourishes us and he cherishes us. He's coming back. He's coming back. Amen. Hallelujah. He's coming back for us. Look at Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We see this when he comes back. We, again, we get insight. We get kind of snippets of, of what's going to happen as God is recorded in Scripture. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. It says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Who understands Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope. He is the expectation of good that is to come. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or will not go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. This is like that cry. This is like that shout that that groom would have when he's on his way, when he's right down the road. With a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the air with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's our, that's our, that's our shout. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Christ to come back, to gather us together with us that are alive, that have not perished, that have not fallen asleep yet, that have not died. And then those that have fallen asleep in Christ will be raised up with us and we will be together with them in the air and we will be forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the journey is right now. The journey is this process of of being betrothed to the Lord Jesus Christ waiting for his return with anticipation and excitement for the Lord Jesus Christ to return unto us and take us to his Father's home. The destination is the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, where everything's restored. 
where there's no tears, there's not even sun anymore because there's no night. And there's no night because the sun, all that we need, is given to us by God and it shines 24-7. There's no darkness. In Revelation 19.6, again, we get some more snippets into... Do you guys know what I'm saying by snippets? Does that make sense? I don't know if I've, I've used that word much. <laughs> I don't know why it's coming out today a lot. <laughs> you guys get me. Oh, thanks for grace. Um, 19.6. Here's a little bit more insight into what's coming. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is that marriage feast. This is the marriage feast. Between the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the bride, us, the church. And it's said that the bride has made herself ready. She has prepared herself for that day. And part of her preparation is what she now gets to wear. As I told you, that period of preparation, that whole year that she was separated from the groom, the bride, she was making her dress. And here we see what the bride gets to wear, what the church gets to wear. It's fine linen. And we see that the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints, the works that you and I have done get to be on display during this process, during this ceremony, during this wedding feast. good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. When we say, yes, Dad, we want to walk in those good works, these things get to be put on display. We get to wear those things. The righteous deeds of the saints, we get to wear those things at that moment. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Am I making sense here? This, we don't have to do anything. Jesus Christ is literally just that faithful unto us. We don't have to do anything for him. But we were made in Christ to do good things. And those good things that we do here on this earth and during the journey get to be put on display at the wedding feast. 
2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, not even the heart of man has even imagined what God has in store for those that love him. That's the destination. God has planned a destination for us. So good, so amazing. And even the journey is so good and so amazing with him. And he wants us to cling to him. He wants us to cling to him. We will see Jesus Christ one day, face to face. And I want to be prepared for that. We don't have to do anything to be prepared for that. But it's exciting. I want to be looking good (laughs) at that ceremony. The righteous deeds of the saints. And there will be such great intimacy between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Such great intimacy. As he takes us into his father's home where we get to be with him forever. That's the destination. But the journey is now. He wants us to enjoy the journey. It was great watching the kids at the beach. It was great watching the kids at the beach. Enjoy what we had planned. But honestly, as, and Danny and I talked about this, as parents, we enjoyed the journey. We enjoyed the journey. I enjoyed the journey so much. The airport, where they had no choice but to cling on to me, despite the noise and the business around them, just the purity of, and the choice to seek me out and to hold on tight. Oh, that blessed my heart so much. And I want to give that back to God. I want to give God, I want to, I want to just fuel that same experience that I got, and I want to give that back to him. As he leads us into the unknown, as we go through this journey, Despite the way things look and the way things feel, we can laugh at it and say, hallelujah, praise you, God. Praise God. We won't be shaken because you are a good God. You've got great plans in store, and we have the vision of what is to come. And in light of our vision, we are not going to be distracted with what's going on around us. Psalm, I'm going to close in this verse, Psalm 12, Psalm 112, 6 through 9. For the righteousness, excuse me, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation as well. That was ESV. Such people will not be overcome by evil. This is the righteous. This is us. Establish that in your heart. I'm not going to be overcome by evil. Just not. Personally establish that in your heart. 
Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. Don't fear bad news. God doesn't fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Do you trust that God is going to care for you? Yeah. They confidently trust that the Lord is going to care for them. They're confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. That's us. Hallelujah, huh? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are just so amazing. Oh, we thank you, Father, for the destination, the hope that we have, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as you have given your Son to us, that we can be one with him, that we, just as a good, a good bride, can support and respect her husband. And we praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. And our lives lived praise you, Father, as we, throughout the journey, prove ourselves as faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. That we can be faithful to him while he is away and before his coming. That we can be a people that think, Father, with one mind, with our Lord Christ Jesus. Father, we love you so much. I thank you, Father, for working purity in our heart. Help us see ways that we can just cling to you more despite worldly knowledge, what our eyes see, what we feel, that we can keep our eyes fixed on the unseen and the hope that is to come. Father, we thank you and we praise you, Father, for being the promise giver the promise keeper, and the promise fulfiller. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord and Savior, we give you great praise and thanks. Amen.